Hi, and welcome back to Pursue Wisdom, the teaching podcast of Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. I'm Paul Steele. I'm the pastor at Bethlehem Church. And this week, we started a new sermon series entitled Living in Grace, a look through the book of Galatians. Now, these next several weeks, there's there's 12 weeks here that we will be looking at Galatians, and we'll be answering questions such as, what is the law? What's the gospel? How do we live as God's people today? So I hope that this sermon series is an encouragement to you as you seek to follow Jesus. Our teaching text comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. As we prepare to get into the message, let's say a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we love you, and we ask that right now you will open our hearts and our minds to receive the word that you have for us. As we look at these first five verses in Galatians, that you would help us to see uh, the truth that you have there, that we may apply it to our lives, to to the way that we think, to the choices that we make. Father, we love you and we give you our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get into the message. So we are going to start a new sermon series today uh, about, about going through the book of Galatians. Going book through, through the book of Galatians. So this is something that I want to, to focus on uh, really through the rest of the year is, is looking at uh, specific books of the Bible and, and taking a little bit deeper dive into them. So we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 today. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So as we get started, let's say a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We are grateful for you. We are thankful for your word, the Bible, that you have given us this uh, book to guide our lives, to give us the wisdom that we need. And so as we approach it today, we ask that you would give us humility, that you would give us an understanding so that we can apply it to our lives. May we see how it uh, helps us and guides us as we move into this world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So When it comes to the book of Galatians, I think there's an important question that we have to ask ourselves, and it's this. What is the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the law? When when we look at the Old Testament, what purpose does that law have on our lives? Right, Because I think as Christians, we kind of come at it and we're like, we, we don't really know what to do with the law. Because on the one hand, we say, hey, this is very important because we'll say something like this, right? That, hey, it's the Ten Commandments and not the Ten Suggestions. Like, these are important. Yet, 
on the other hand, we don't follow the law. I mean, one of the, the biggest obvious examples is even if, you, if you're just looking at the Ten Commandments, is that we don't observe the Sabbath day. When was the last time you kept the Sabbath day holy? I don't know if I ever have, to be honest. When you look at the Sabbath being sundown from Friday through sundown on Saturday, and that's never changed. That's always been the Sabbath day. And so, and then you throw into the mix that as Christians, we want to avoid seeming like legalists, right? Because we have in our mind that that was the great tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are these legalist people, and we don't want to be like them. And so what is the purpose of the law? Really, that's what the book of Galatians is about. The book of Galatians is about what purpose the law serves. And so why is this such an important question for Paul to address? Why is he trying to answer it? The reason he's trying to answer it is that he is trying to take this, this, this message, this gospel that has been basically up to this time a Jewish messianic movement and bringing it into uh, the greater world. Like, how do you do that? And so in, in, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see Paul's first missionary journey. He takes three missionary journeys. The first missionary journey starts in Acts chapter 13, where he is in Antioch of Syria. And while he is there, the church prays. And one of the interesting things about the church in Antioch is that one, it's the first place where followers of Jesus are called Christians or little Christs. This recognition that as, as people who follow Jesus, our lives should look like Jesus. The other interesting thing about Antioch of Syria is it's the first multicultural church. That even the church within Jerusalem, it's basically a Jewish church. Even though you have the, the, the Greek widows there, they're still Jewish. They just don't speak the same language. In Antioch of Syria, you have the first multicultural mixed church. And as they're praying, the Holy Spirit reveals to them that they should set apart Saul, he hasn't changed his name yet, Saul and Barnabas to go out on this journey to take the gospel into the world. And so they, they leave. They, they, they leave there. They, they take a boat to Cyprus. And from there they go to the mainland of what we know today as Turkey, Asia Minor, and in that process, 
Paul changes his name. Really, he doesn't even change his name. What he does is that he goes from using the Jewish form of his name, Saul, to the Greek form of his name, which is Paul. Already he's signaling what he is about. He's about taking this gospel into this greater culture, and he's looking for ways that he can connect with them. So he's going to use his Greek name rather than his Jewish name. He goes and he, he, he goes to another Antioch, Antioch of Poseidon, and he starts to proclaim the gospel. What happens is then the Jews come and, and, and because he goes to the synagogues first and he starts to have these interactions as these Jewish uh, people and not necessarily even Christians here they start to push back on Paul's message and he leaves and he goes into the province the Roman province of Galatia and he hits the towns the cities of Iconium Lystra and Derby. These are Gentile places. Yeah, there are some Jews there, but these are primarily Gentile Greek cities. And he proclaims the gospel there. And what happens is that these Jewish people who he <laughs> stirs up in, in Antioch of Poseidon, they start to follow him on this journey. They start to cause trouble. And he's having to answer their questions about the law. And then Paul returns back to Antioch. And already it seems that when Paul reaches Antioch of Syria again, he's already hearing reports of how people have come, and this time Jewish Christians have come in behind him and stirred things up. To say, no, for you to really be part of God's people, you have to follow the law. You have to practice these food laws. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all of this. Otherwise, you're not part of God's people. And if you're not part of God's people, you're outside of the, the covenant. You can't have this salvation. You can't have this uh, eternal life. And Paul gets upset. He gets upset that people are leading his, his converts, these people that he's worked with, astray. And so he sits down and he writes this letter. I think this is the very first letter that Paul writes. And he's writing it for this purpose, to encourage these Gentile Christians to follow Jesus, to not be distracted, not to be led astray from those who are coming in behind and say, hey, you have to become Jewish. You have to follow these laws before you can follow Jesus. And we have to remember that this is a big deal. This is a big deal for the early church. This was one of those, those things that issues and problems that they had to work through. See, one of the things that we have to remember is that every generation of the church has its own set of problems, its own set of issues that it has to work through as we seek to take the gospel into the world. 
It's not just all laid out for us. We have to figure this out. And that's one of the reasons why we have God's word. That's one of the reasons why we have prayer, so that we can ask God for wisdom on how we do this. Because it's not always clear. And one of the realities that we are facing in the United States is that the ways that we have shared the gospel with our larger context no longer is working. It no longer works. So, for the very first time, since Gallup has taken these statistics, fewer than 50% of people in the United States are religious. Not just Christians, religious. Jewish, Muslim, whatever. Less than 50%. The way that we've gone about sharing the gospel is no longer working. We have to rethink and we have to to, uh, come up with new ways to reach the culture that we are in. Because before, we were living in a Christian culture where even if people didn't go to church, they kind of assumed that the Bible was true, and they lived towards that biblical kind of ethic. They had that kind of worldview. That's no longer the case. And so this is one of those issues that we have to wrestle with. Just like the early church had to wrestle with, what do you do with the law? How do you proclaim the gospel without the law. And that's one of the things that they had to come up with. Every generation of the church has to wrestle with how do we proclaim God's gospel, which doesn't change into a culture that changes. How do we do that? And so gratefully, thankfully, we have things like Galatians to help us work through some of these things, to kind of give us some guide point, uh, guidelines and, and, and point us in the right direction. So let's take, a, let's take a look here at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and I'm reading here from the New Living Translation. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Well, this is just the introduction, and it's a pretty standard uh, way to introduce a, a letter in, uh, in, that, in, in ancient Greece, in, in that culture. So while this is just the introduction, it does reveal some important truths uh, that uh, for us. And so one of the things that's interesting is that in so many of other Paul's other letters, he has this area 
of thanksgiving. So for example, in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a standard way that Paul introduces. That's a standard element of his introduction. Paul doesn't do that here. Now, many scholars believe that's because he's so frustrated, and you actually see this here in, the, in, the, in verse 6, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from the God who called you. He's so frustrated with what's happening there that he just gets into it. He doesn't take time to, to say, hey, I thank God for you. He's frustrated with what's happening. It makes him disappointed. He sees all his hard work like being wasted. And that's part of the motivation he has here for writing. And so as we look at this introduction, I think what, one of the things that we see or one of the things that we can kind of pull out of this is um, three parts of Paul's ministry. Three parts of his ministry. As he looks at what he is called to do, he says, this is what my ministry is all about. And the first part of his ministry that he talks about was his calling. In verse 1, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul emphasizes here his calling. And he says that his calling comes from God, from Jesus. It doesn't come from any group. Now remember, one of the reasons he may be emphasizing this is that the church there in Antioch was the one that commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go on these missionary journeys. And so as these people have come, uh, and, and they're called Judaizers, so, so the, as these Judaizers come in behind Paul and kind of stir things up, one of the things that apparently they, they were saying is that Paul doesn't have the authority to give you this new message. He was just sent by this church in Antioch. That's who sent him. So you shouldn't be just listening to what he said. He doesn't have the authority from God to change things up, to change what our, old, you know, our, our scriptures say. And so Paul emphasizes the fact that, no, his calling comes from God, from Jesus. And so we are reminded of, of Paul's conversion there in Acts, right? That he's writing uh, to Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians. And on the way, he has this vision of Jesus, this blinding light. And Jesus calls him. He says, Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And so they lead Paul, because he's blind, to, to Damascus, and Ananias hears from God, and, and God says, hey, go to this guy named Saul and heal him. 
and share with him the gospel. And Ananias says, no, no way, God, right? Because he says, he says, this guy Saul's dangerous. He came to arrest us. He came to kill us. You must be mistaken. And God says, no, you go do this. Saul is my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul sees his calling coming not from human authority, not from Peter or James in, in Jerusalem, but he sees it coming from Jesus and from God the Father. That's who's commissioned him to go into the world with the gospel. And his gospel message there, therefore, comes not from something he's made up, not something from his own interpretation of Scripture, but from Jesus himself. See, Paul needs to emphasize that this message that he's preaching isn't of his own making. It is God. It is from God. This is what God wants people to know. Even though it sounds, doesn't sound right to these Jewish Christians. Like this goes contrary to what they've grown up with, to what they believe. And yet God is reframing things through Paul, through this message that he has given to him. Paul was called. He had a very specific calling. But you know what? Each one of us has been called too. We may not have uh, as, as, uh, as specific of a calling as the Apostle Paul, but we've been called. We have a job to do. And in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul writes this, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Generically, that's all of us. All of us. Whether God gets more specific with us like he does to Paul, like you're my instrument to go to the Gentiles, whether he gives us a more specific task than that or not, this is our calling. Our calling is that we are to represent Jesus in this world, that we are his ambassadors, that we are making this plea to the world in whatever way that we can to come back to God. Come back to God. Repent, right? For the kingdom of God is near. Come back to God. That is what we're called to do. We are God's representatives. So whatever we do, we are to represent Jesus. We are to represent Jesus to our families. As parents, we represent Jesus to our children. As children, we represent Jesus to our parents. We are to represent Jesus to those we work with. And the things that we say and the way that we act. We are to represent Jesus to our neighbors. That's our calling. 
So just as Paul was confident in the calling that he had received, we should be confident in the calling that, he, that, that we have, that we are to represent Jesus in the ways that we can to those that we live around. The second part of Paul's ministry was his message, verses 2 through 4. All the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Paul says, hey, I'm with these group of people. So probably he's in Antioch of Syria. He has these other people around him, and they're talking about this, this message. He says, hey, these people here, they agree with this message. They're, they're, they're going along with it. They want to see you churches, the, you there in Galatia, to know what the truth is. They're in agreement with me. See, it's so important for us as we seek to proclaim the gospel, to be united with one another. Like one of the things that, that the church, especially in the West, at least that's our, our, our context, one of the things that we've been very good at is dividing and calling people out because they disappoint us. They don't live up to our expectations. They don't do what we think they should be doing. And what this does overall is it discredits the message that we've been given. We need to be united in what the message that we have. He goes on to say, grace and peace May God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So this is a standard way. Uh, so the, the, the standard Greek introduction or greeting was grace to you. And the standard Jewish greeting was peace or shalom. So Paul puts these together. And he's not just wishing this on his readers. Oh, I wish that you would experience grace, you know, favor, unmerited kindness. You know, I wish, I hope that you do, you know, and kind of in that wishy-washy thing. I hope or I wish that you will experience peace. No, this really becomes a prayer for Paul. And he is praying this, that they would experience grace, God's blessing, God's kindness on them that they would experience God's peace, that they would experience completeness, that they would experience this, this uh, confidence, this hope, that they wouldn't have to worry, that they wouldn't have to be blown back and forth by the, by the winds of this world. He says, I hope, I, I pray that you will experience this from God, that God would grant you these things. his summary, at least in this letter, of what the gospel is. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. 
That's kind of the gospel in the nutshell. It's that we live in this evil world. And this world is evil in, in, in a couple different ways. In one way, it's evil because, remember, God created not an evil world, but a good world. But sin comes in and it corrupts everything. And therefore, we have things like famine and war and disease and poverty and racism and all the other things that trickle down or wrapped up with that. That's the reality of the world that we live. No longer is it good, it's, it's evil. The second way that we experience this evil world is through interactions with other people because so often the evil that we personally experience happens at the hands or the mouth of somebody else. It's because of somebody else's choice, somebody else's actions. And so we live in this, this evil world. And God's plan, and we, we sh- hopefully you remember this from the story, God's plan from the beginning is to restore his good creation and to bring us, those who bear his image, into a relationship with him so that we can, again, be co-rulers with him in this world. And for us, for that to happen, God planned this from the beginning to send Jesus to die for our sins. And while there's a lot of different theories on what the atonement and what all that means, we don't need to understand those all. All we have to understand is that Jesus' death takes care of sin. Not only our sin, the consequences of our sin, but the corruption that this world has. God, Jesus' sacrifice does that. He takes care of the evil in this world. And so he rescues us out of it. Not only by promising us new creation, new heaven, new earth, eternal life, but also transforming us through the Holy Spirit so that we can push back against the evil in this world. That we are able to do that, and we are able to do that in Small, but very important ways. By loving those around us. By speaking truth. By helping, by serving. See, we live in a world, we live in a culture that has already started to push back against the evil in this world, right? Because we live in, in, a, in, a, in a world, in a culture, where so many of our education, our universities, were started as Christian universities. So many of our hospitals were started as Christian hospitals. There was from this understanding that God had given us this ability to fight against the evil in this world. And I think that's something as Christians that we have to reclaim. We've ceded that too much to the culture. 
But we have to reclaim, like, this is our, this is our legacy. This is our, uh, this is, this is our work. And so we live in this, in this world, right, where even though we live in, in, a, in, a, in a post-Christian society, in a post-Christian culture, we have this, the, we live in a, in, in, in a society that understands that the world isn't what it should be. That's why we have this thing called social justice, right? They understand, they diagnose a lot of the things that are wrong, that need to be dealt with. They just don't have the right answers. And so as Christians, we are to come in and we are to fight against the evil in this world. That is our job. That's part of the gospel. That's how Jesus has rescued us as he's transformed us and empowered us to do just that work. And the third part of Jesus' or Paul's ministry is his desire. Verse 5. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Paul's concern was about God's glory. It wasn't about his glory. It wasn't about his recognition. It wasn't about him uh, being seen as this person of authority. That wasn't what Paul was concerned about. What Paul was concerned about was the fact that he'd been called, that, that in his work he could bring glory and honor to God. That's what he was concerned about. He wanted to to give praise and worship to God. He wanted the world to give praise and worship to God. That's what motivated him. And in our ministry and in what we've been called to do, our motivation matters. Right? It's not just about doing good things. This is, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, yeah, it's good that you don't kill anybody, but hey, have you hated somebody in your heart? Because that's kind of the same thing. Your motivation matters. What's in your heart matters. And so for us to be part of God's ministry, the calling that he has given to us, for us to push back against the evil of this world, our motivation matters. And if our motivation isn't for God to get the glory, isn't about worshiping God, isn't about bringing more people into God's kingdom, then we have the wrong motivation. And one of the prayers that we need to have in our lives is, God, give me the right motivation. Give me the right motivation. Make me humble. Let me... Let me desire your glory above everything else. That's what we've been called to. And so for us to give glory to God isn't just about the songs that we sing or the prayers that we pray. It's also about how we live our lives. Right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. For us to truly give God glory and honor, we have to align our lives with, the, with God's will. It's about how we live. 
It's about demonstrating God's character. We glorify God when we demonstrate his character. That's what we're called to do. So our motivation matters. We want to glorify God with everything that we have. Do we desire God's glory above our own recognition? And let me just make this confession. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want that recognition. Maybe more times than I care to admit, right? We want that recognition, but we need to give it to God. Paul's ministry was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He wanted the world to know God's love so that they could in turn give glory and honor to God. So here's our big idea this morning. Our salvation and our calling are for God's glory. Our salvation and our calling are for God's glory. This is the motivation for our lives. It's why we love. It's why we worship. It's why we pray. It's why we serve. Because we want the world to glorify God. And so as we move into this time of prayer response, I want us just to pause here. And first of all, ask God to give you clarity on your calling. Ask God to say, ask God, what is my calling? What are you asking me to do? Let's ask God to give us opportunities to love. And finally, let's commit to following Jesus. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would give us clarity on our calling. Yeah, let's, I ask for your spirit to clarify everyone's calling in this room that they can hear your voice, that they can understand what it is that you, you want them to do, how, that they can, they, how they can use their talents and, 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 and abilities and resources for your glory, for, for sharing the gospel. But Father, I also ask that you will help us as a church family, this church family called Bethlehem, to understand our calling. What is it that we should be invested in as a church? How should we be loving our neighbors as a church? How can we share the gospel as a church? Help us to understand, help us to see, help us to become unified in our vision and our calling. And Father, we ask, we commit our lives to you. Father, I commit this group of people, this place called Bethlehem, to you that we will follow after Jesus, that we will seek out your word, that we will seek out your truth, that we will seek to love those around us. 
that we will be ambassadors of Jesus. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here is our challenge this week. Write out your understanding of the gospel. What is the gospel? If you follow me on Facebook, friends with me on Facebook, you follow on twi twi Twitter. Uh, if you are friends with me on, on Facebook, you know that I threw this question out. What's the gospel? So share with me, just write out, what is your understanding of the gospel? And then think about how would you share that reality, that truth with somebody else? What is your understanding of the gospel and how would you share that? See, Christians are people of grace. See, God has blessed us for no reason except he's love and he's generous and he wants to be kind to us and he wants us to be part of his family. Christians are people of grace and that means one of that thing, one of the truths of that is that we are to be blessings to those around us. God has blessed us for us to be for us to bless others. So let us be people of grace in this world. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Now remember that God has called us, he has saved us so that we can glorify him. We do all of this for God's glory. I like to say that we are to demonstrate God's character. Remember Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and have fallen short of God's glory. So the only way that we can really glorify God is to demonstrate his character, to live with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, with his wisdom. And that's what we seek to do. So my prayer for you this week, for all who hear this message, is that we would follow the Spirit's leading as we seek to demonstrate God's character in this world. Now, my one ask of you is that if you have found encouragement through this podcast, if you've enjoyed it in any way, that you go to BethlehemChurchAustin.com and give. That way we can continue to provide this as a resource for you and for others. Have a wonderful week and God bless.